Welcome to the Sunday evening service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. All right, 1 Peter chapter 4 for our study tonight. How does hurting help us? And I don't know if you've noticed this, but we've always got Uh, We've always had a pain problem. Many of you have gone through difficult seasons of life. A couple years ago, I was uh, going through just some interesting symptoms in my body, and I thought, I better look this up on the internet. Never do that. I began to look that up, and I decided I better start planning my funeral. Have you ever? I don't know if there's anybody like me. Uh, When you have an unusual pain, you go look it up, and then you really start having pains, right, in your heart. Well, I had all the symptoms of death. My stomach hurt, my back hurt, my, I couldn't hear well, my teeth started to fall out, my hair turning gray. And so I, I, I began to really get worried. I, I began to add up the symptoms. I dragged my feet occasionally, and I began to drive past cemeteries wondering which one I should use. You know, I was already uh, planning my funeral. And then even thoughts beyond that, I just wonder, I wonder who my wife is going to remarry. <laughs> Who's going to get my car, my golf clubs? Of course, you've all heard that. Silly little story about the man who knew he was dying, and of course he, he told his wife, now you, I know, honey, you're probably going to get remarried one of these days, and that's okay, and, uh, but please just don't let your new husband use my, my golf clubs, and she said, oh, that won't happen. He said, good, why? Well, he's left-handed. <laughs> that's bad, isn't it? That's bad. She was planted ahead, wasn't she? It does seem like sometimes we let her just take over our lives. Tend to hear bagpipes playing Amazing Grace in the background when we have an ache or a pain. And it can be, of course, very serious in our hearts that we wonder how in the world, why in the world does God allow such suffering in our lives personally? We talked about the violence around us this morning, but First Peter is really a manual, a great book to handle the hurts of life. It was written to the Jews scattered abroad by Peter, of course, and They were going in the first century, going through some of the most intense persecution and suffering. Uh, We don't really know anything about that, at least in this era of time in America. I think it's coming for all of us. But uh, he really wanted to encourage them in their response to suffering. Keep your finger here in 1 Peter 4, but let's go back to chapter 1. And just I've just circled a few verses to kind of ramp up to chapter 4. When does it, why does hurting help us? Well, verse 4 gives us an indicator about this. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if it's necessary, (laughs) that you are in heaviness through the manifold temptations. That could mean persecution, and it could mean physical ailments. It could be just the, the stress of life. You're going through it, but this is necessary for you. That the trial of your faith, verse 7, is more precious than gold that perishes though it be tried with fire, might be found of the praise and the honor and the glory at the appearing of Christ. Well, I moved on to chapter 2 and circled as I was studying a verse or two there. I looked at chapter 2 and verse 21, for even hereunto, or uh, you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving for us an example that ye should follow in his steps. In verse uh, chapter 3, verse 1, excuse me, not verse 1, but Verse 14, but if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. Be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. 
Verse 17, for it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer. There's the theme repeated for well-doing than for evil-doing. And then chapter 4, where we'll spend a few minutes tonight together in our study. For as much then, verse 1, as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, prepare yourself, arm yourself likewise with the same mind. For he that suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he would no longer spend the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. Now our text tonight is found in verse 12 and beyond. Beloved, speaking to his beloved Jewish brethren scattered about, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing is happening unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as your partakers, fellowshippers with Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. We don't think like that, do we? For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. Well, moving on then to the end of the chapter, uh, verse 17. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. First begin with us, what shall be the end of those that obey not the gospel? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, great conclusion, let them that suffer, a repeated theme in this book, according to the will of God, commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. Did you know, although our evening series is really about prophecy, I'm only going to look at one verse as we look at the theme of hurting and pain in our lives. It's found in chapter 4, verse 7. This was my only connection tonight to prophecy. But the end of all things, and then the testimony that Den gave us tonight reminded me of this verse, but the end of all things is at hand. All things temporal, all things physical, the end of the world, so to speak. That's coming. A new kingdom is coming when Christ returns. Be therefore sober-minded and watch unto prayer. In other words, he's telling us God is preparing you not just for the weekend. And God is preparing you not just for the next perhaps wonderful event that you're planning, a vacation time. We look forward to these things. God is preparing us what? For His appearing. And so He will use whatever is necessary in our lives, won't He, to get us ready for His appearing. So maybe it's, maybe it's you that's not in a happy place. There's difficulty in your life right now. And you're wondering, why in the world has God sent this to me? Well, the truth is, these things are for our good. First Peter, of course, chapter 4 and 7 reminds us that the end of all things is at hand. Temporal things are coming to an end. The end of our lives is soon approaching. Uh, again, it's fragile, it's short, it's a vapor. The only opportunity to prepare for eternity is right now. And none of us, <laughs> none of us would choose, would we, to put pain into our lives. If you wrote the map of your own life, the journey, the adventure of your life, it would be all about one vacation after another one, one exciting thing after another one. And none of us would plan the pain, so God knows that hurting helps us. The end of all things is at hand. Number one, if you're a note taker, the flames of suffering help us in that they are a reminding fire, a reminding fire. Now, we've already talked about that. 
God is preparing us to meet Him, to fashion us into His image, to be more like Him. And so He's getting us ready for what surely is coming for all of us. One day we will stand before the Lord and give an account of how we've lived our life, and God will use the flame to prepare us and to push us and urge us to Himself. Secondly, suffering is a refining fire, a refining fire. Verse 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to T-R-Y, to try you. It isn't a trial unless it hurts. He's trying you, he's stretching you. He's putting you through it in order that your metal might be tested as though some strange... It's not unusual. Uh, be, a, be alerted to that. God is going to put every one of us through these seasons of trial. I wonder what it is for you. It changes from age to age and person to person. Uh, God knows exactly what we can handle, doesn't He? He will not allow you to be suffered or suffer in any way, tempted or tried, in, in areas that you can't handle it. Sorrow is a fruit, Spurgeon says. He never causes it to grow on branches too weak to bear it. And so God is preparing you for a refining flame. Speaks of the trying of our faith. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, we already looked at that, notes that the trial of our faith is what more precious than gold that perisheth. It's going to be found one day unto the praise and honor and glory and the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want it to be nice and comfortable. We want our lives to be full of just fun stuff and easy trails. We all have this view that one day if we have to go home and have to die before the Lord returns, we'll just die in our sleep peacefully. But God says, I've got another plan for you that's going to include a little bit of trial no matter how strong you are, how tough you think you are, God has a way of reducing you to your knees so that you will look up to Him. Spurgeon was talking to his students, lecturing his students. He writes a chapter in that book about the minister's fainting fits. <laughs> he admits himself to a time of depression. He says, fits of depression come over most of us, usually Cheerful though we may be, we at interval, intervals in life are cast down. The strong are not always strong, the wise not always ready, the brave not always courageous, the joyous not always happy. There may be here and there men of iron, but, but surely the rust can discourage the best of these. And that's true, I found it in, in my own life in ministry, seasons in which uh, we try to hide these things, don't we? We're pretty good about that as churchgoers. We come to church, we dress up and hide our troubles. But all of us go through seasons of the fiery trial. Often our pain just brings us to discouragement. So we don't like words like trying and trials and suffering, but they're all laced through First Peter in order to help us understand that hurting really does bring us to a higher level of maturity. Fiery furnace is to try you, to perfect you. And really there is a context to what Peter is saying to those believers in the first century. And a, a pastor by the name of John MacArthur explains the context of history behind this verse. He says, for nine days in the summer of A.D. 64, a huge fire 
was raging through the city, these, these words had great import and impact to the hearers when Peter wrote them. A huge fire raged the city of Rome. Perhaps you studied history enough to know that Nero watched gleefully from his tower that perched above one of the highest portions of the city as the city burned. Nero himself was behind the flames. It was his desire to remodel certain sectors of Rome, to burn off, really, or burn out the riffraff, so to speak. He, in fact, started these fires, or had them started in certain sectors of the town, and the plan was to to really just kind of eliminate certain areas that he he didn't care for anymore, the project, so to speak. But it backfired, and the whole town, the whole city caught on fire. People began to blame him, and so he needed someone else to blame. Like the Sanhedrin wanted to blame someone. After the resurrection, they came up with different ideas about what had happened. Well, he came up with a plan. He said, since these Christians, this new religion has come to town, they don't believe in, uh, of course, the deification of Roman leaders, and they worship together, and uh, they, they think there's this king that came back from the dead in Jerusalem, and and, and they don't bow to us. And when they meet together, he, he, he said they, they, have, they start their services with this holy kiss. And he says that's just to cover up for all kinds of evil stuff that goes on in those church services. And he says it was the Christians who started this. And so as a result of that, the, uh, the persecution even intensified. And they would round up the Christians and uh, put them on spires, so to speak, and impale them and use, cover them with pitch or tar and light the, light the Christians on fire to just light up their dinner parties, use them for target practice, round them up and take them to the amphitheaters there and let the lions loose upon them. And often you would hear the Christians singing as the lions were released to destroy their lives. And there was such a testimony of God's grace through this newfound, quote-unquote, religion. The Christians had an undying, unshakable faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and the suffering revealed this. And so we see that there is a benefit, there's a great benefit to these things. When through fiery trials our pathway shall lie, thy grace, all sufficient, shall be my supply. Have you found that to be true, dear Christian friend, in your life, when you've gone through it? Have you found the grace of God to be sufficient? It is. Are you struggling on your own, running in circles, screaming and shouting? Or are you truly trusting the Lord? Trials prove and expose our metal. Will you cling to Christ? I have found that uh, verse four, chapter 4, verse 1 is true in my own life. The, the hotter the fire, the less I am attracted to worldly things. Wasted time, wasted habits, wasteful habits and wasteful hobbies. They push us into a greater, these fires push us into a greater relationship with the Lord. So it is a remembering, our purpose type of a fire. It's a refining fire. It's a revealing fire. It helps us in our relationship with Christ. Notice verse 13. As we look at the helpful things to hurting, rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering. You see that four times in these verses. You are partakers. Uh, Your relationship is validated. It's verified in the flame. Can you think of anybody in the Bible 
who went into a literal fire and found out that when they got in there, there was a fourth man in the fire walking. Yeah. It would be interesting to stop right now, a sermon in progress, and ask you the question, so the last time you went into the furnace of affliction, how aware were you of the Son of God walking through it with you, the valley of the shadow of death? In what ways, that's why I asked the question this evening, in what ways have you discovered that in the furnace there is the fourth man who is the Son of God walking with you? Isn't it interesting, on a stormy sea, the disciples found out that there was one in the boat with them who was asleep in the storm. Do you know, uh, often, and today I had this moment where I was just praying this afternoon. I couldn't take, a, I usually take my, my, you know, that's the third ordinance of the Baptist church, the Sunday nap, and I, was, I couldn't sleep. And um, something was just troubling my soul. But I, I came to the Lord, and I found out that he was not at all shaken, worried. <laughs> he was just calm. And he assured my soul in the middle of the tempest, that little tempest that blew in, that little whirlwind in the spirit that came in. The Lord, when I came to him, was not as agitated as I was. He was calm. In fact, they had to wake the Lord up. <laughs> I, I love that in my mind's eye. I see it as he's rubbing the sleep out of his eyes. How can you sleep when the boat is filling with water and I can just see him? It's not written in the text, but he looks at the man and says, so is there something wrong? <laughs> well, sometimes we get agitated, don't we? There's a fellowship that comes when we suffer uh, for righteousness sake. We grow closer to the Lord. Our faith is validated. It's approved and proved in the fire, in the flame. That's another deep and abiding blessing, of course, to that uh, wonderful time and season of our life. We don't think it's so wonderful, but when we go through difficulties. I won't ask you to raise your hand tonight. If you're going through it, most of us to some degree are, but there is this fellowship. Partakers is the word, verse 13. You're partakers of Christ's suffering. And what's the, what's the blessing? Verse 14, well, if you're reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. And I think that's perhaps, uh, that, that word restis, rests or resteth is from the word in the Greek, anapauo. It means to give peace, relief in your relationship, a refreshment of your spirit. Some of us need that tonight. We are really frazzled Christians, so to speak. We're worried that something, some, something happening in our lives or around our lives or a relationship is, is frayed. It's, 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 it's in a state of disrepair, and, and we're just all worried about it. There's this, there's this Spirit of God that rests upon us when we respond correctly to the trial. And then it gives us that final benefit of suffering or hurting, and that is the Spirit of God's God's, God's Spirit rests upon you in a sense of testimony, and His glory, His glory is magnified in our lives. Did you know this? That there is no time in your life where the megaphone of your testimony and the glory of His grace is louder than when you suffer, and you suffer correctly. You fellowship with Him, you're, 
your metal, your spiritual metal is revealed. You're reminded of the purpose that the day of the Lord approaches. Your life is about to end. All things are temporal, about to be done with. And so God's getting us ready. But there is this final benefit and is this, that when you suffer and when I suffer and do it right, in a humble, meek spirit, patient spirit, say, Lord, I'm, I don't want just relief. I want your name to be glorified. Your testimony will shine forth as at no other time in your life. I saved in my notes um, just a little clipping from a man most of you, well, some of you, I'd say most of you would remember Matt Nething. Uh, some of you did not know him. But in the valley of his life, he wrote this thing about how hurting does help. Of course, I've given you some of the points already. Remembers our purpose, refines our character, reveals our real relationship with the Christ. It reassures us that He's with us and he's, he's at rest, so we need to be at rest. But here's the final thing. It's, it's a sense of redeeming our pain and our hurt in order that we might be a blessing to others. Here's what he wrote. Verse 14, again, before I read the note, if you're reproached, the spirit of glory rests upon you. On your part, as you go before the lions, Christians, and you may be called to do that, we may be called to do that, even in our lifetime. Not literal, perhaps, lions, but they're coming for us. Just like Nero blamed Christians in his day, it won't be long. We're probably a president away from perhaps, I hope not, but um, being vilified, we already are. We're the reason, right? that things are going wrong in America. We're too conservative. We're too religious. We won't allow different thought patterns. Well, on your part, he is glorified. Matt Nothing, uh, as most of you know, went through a time cancer a few years ago. He wrote these words in 2013. He said, here I am, nearly seven years after go undergoing chemotherapy for metastatic melanoma that's shown up in my lymph nodes in my lungs. He said it's pretty scary. I save this note. I'm told that it was probably caused by sunburn from my teenage years. He said how I wish I could go back and put sunscreen on. How I wish I could have seen the melanoma on my neck and had the surgery sooner. But the fact is, I cannot change my past. And the, fact it, and the fact that you're even hearing and reading this now means that I have succumbed to something, either the melanoma or something else. But Matt decided, Matt taught science here for many, many years. And of course, Sarah, his daughter. But Matt decided to redeem his hurt and his pain to express the glory of God. He said, I appreciate the fact that you're listening to my story now. I hope that you're not offended by what I'm going to say. I wish somebody would have seen that spot on the back of my neck and said something offensive to me so that I would have gotten it taken care of when I could before it became a deadly threat. I would not hurt you, my friend, by saying anything to upset you. I only wish to help. If someone had a cure for cancer, didn't tell me, that would be offensive. There is a disease, however, more frightening than cancer. It's called sin. But there is a readily available cure. He said, I'm nervous about death and what, would, what that would mean to the people that love me. But death does not frighten me because I have received the cure for sin. And I wish for you the same cure. 
What glory is it if we suffer without an eternal purpose? If we're just thinking we're the target of God and God is capricious and He's just doing this to hurt me and because He doesn't know. God loves us. That never changes. The reason it comes is that the megaphone of His grace, His gospel story would be amplified in my life and yours. I wonder, how are you responding? How are you using the gift of suffering? Philippians 1.29 calls it a gift. What glory has been shining from your life? I trust that you are responding correctly to the glory of suffering that comes when only when we hurt. Others can see it. R.A. Torrey, and I close with this. Founder of the Bible Institute in Los Angeles, lost his 12-year-old daughter. We just heard about uh, the death of a child tonight, 12-year-old daughter in an accident. The funeral, he said, was on a rainy day. They stood beside that little hole in the ground, surrounded by loved ones. It was dark. It was dismal. Mrs. Torrey whispered to her husband, I'm so glad Elizabeth is not in that box. Their grief went home with them that night as they tried to sleep. I'm not saying that hurting is easy or fun, or even just for a while. But it always comes for a reason. They got up in the morning. He did, and Dr. Torrey took a walk. A wave of grief broke over him anew and afresh, wave upon wave. The loneliness of her absence, the terrible feeling, knowing they would never hear her laugh again, never see her face again, never witness her growth, see her get married. He couldn't take it. He leaned against a, a street light and he looked up and he began to pray. And he said, this is what I experienced. Just then the fountain, the Holy Spirit, whom I had in my heart, broke forth upon me with such power as I think I'd never experienced before. It was the most joyful moment I've ever known in my life. I wasn't losing a daughter. I was giving her up. The glorious place called heaven. She was our treasure just for a moment. It is an unspeakable, glorious thing to have within you a fountain ever springing up, springing up springing up, ever springing up, 30, 365 days in a year, springing up under every circumstance. If ye be reproached in, for the name of Christ, happy are ye. That doesn't make sense. Verse 13, but rejoice in as much. That really is a spiritual endowment to be able to sing like Paul sang at midnight locked in the stalks. What a testimony to hear those wonderful tunes. I don't know what hymn he was singing uh, there in that night. Could have been Victory in Jesus. I don't think it was penned quite then, but his heart was full of praise. That is something that has to be spiritually given to you in the moment of your trial to say, thank you, Lord, and then to sing about it. I trust God has put a song in your heart even in the midst of your trials. Let's pray tonight. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.